Welcome back to the Face Off Spot. This is your host, Adam Larson. We'd like to thank you for tuning in to another episode. We always appreciate when you guys tune in. And as usual, we are sponsored by Rube's Brews. Please check them out on Instagram and or Facebook. There is a Klingtoberfest that's coming out, uh, I think, next week. I think the Klingtoberfest is coming out next week. Uh, so be sure and check that out. Um, all right. Well, um, the next guest here, uh, we're done with saying that anybody is special because we're not allowed to say that anymore. But my next guest here, um, he is the only guest that has been brought up twice on previous episodes of, of guests that have just decided to throw his name out there. And then after the podcast, they actually told me that I need to reach out to this guy so I finally did. Uh, it took a little bit of uh, uh, agent work by my good friend Wes Mason, but uh, today on the show we have the head coach and general manager of the NAHL Brahmas. Um, here today we have Dan Wildfong. Dan, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So, Dan, uh, I'm not going to lie to you here. Um, there's been, like I said, there's been two guests at this point that have told me, hey, you got to have this guy on. You got to have this guy on. You got to have this guy on. And I'm kind of new to the area, as most, most of our listeners know, but whenever I hear that from two separate people that don't even know that they're saying the same thing, I have to get to the bottom of it. Um, so I decided to get to the bottom of it, and I am up at Nitex right now. Uh, I'm inside your office, which is nice because I kind of uh, I, I, I like to enjoy the, uh, the the personal space. I feel like this is you and me are in the same uh, personal space here. Are we agreed on that? Yes. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, so I kind of wanted to uh, start off by, first of all, saying thank you for coming on the show. But um, you're going to have to start off the show. I know that you have a lot of uh, uh, hockey accolades, uh, if you will. I know that you're an uh, uh, ex-professional hockey player, and you, you've done a lot, especially down here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, but you have to start the show the same way that everybody starts the show off. I want you to go back before you were Dan Wildfong, the hockey player. I want you to think about you getting into the sport. I know that you said you're from Canada, and these these Canadian introductions to the sport happen usually much younger, and yeah. they're usually a little bit more entertaining. They usually involve family. Um, but I kind of wanted you to go through how you got into it. Before you even stepped onto the ice, what was kind of the first thing that got you there? Well, obviously, a lot of people in Canada, when you walk, you, you know, you're usually on skates yeah. when you walk. So my uh, family you know, was always into hockey, and my mother and father kind of obviously got me into the sport and i really appreciate they did because i obviously obviously uh you know I, i've it's been my career and my path for uh my my profession now which yeah i really appreciate they they allowed me to get started in that but when i started i was i i probably was uh skating at four years old and mm -hmm. I actually started figure skating classes. Don't tell anyone that. No, but, we're uh, no, we're here. The podcast is yeah. huge for power skating, <laughs> figure skating. Yeah. I did similar things. So we didn't have really power skating back then. So uh, they threw you on the ice as a figure skater to learn how to skate. Did you have toe pick? I did not. <laughs> I had regular hockey skates. <laughs> okay, but, <laughs> just wanted to check. But I. Uh, you know, my, my daughter's a figure skater now, so she loves to bring that up that yeah, I was yeah, a yeah. figure skater before, but I was not. <laughs> well, well, but, but and, and I've talked about this plenty of times on the podcast before, but uh, uh, my father has, uh, my father grew up playing uh, up in Minnesota. Uh, he started about the same age, three or four. And as soon as I, he, he didn't even let me touch a puck for, I think, like the first year. 
he only had me skate. And even when I got a little bit better, um, I was kind of one of the first kids that did, uh, there was a, a Saturday morning, yes, Saturday morning, uh, figure skating, power skating class um, that I always had to attend. Um, I was the first, uh, I would say, hockey player to attend those classes, but then I got my buddies to come. And this would happen every time. My buddies would be like, oh, figure skating class, figure skating class. By the time we left that power skating class, they were completely humbled in every way possible. Yeah, I think uh, those figure skaters, like I told you, uh, <clears throat> my daughter is a figure skater, and those girls can really, their edges are unbelievable. Well, and yeah. I think we obviously as hockey players can learn a lot. Oh, yeah. I learned a lot when I was... Uh, you know, getting in the game is learning how to skate. If you can't skate, it's really tough to play at the higher levels. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, if, uh, you know, if, if game, if we're both going to agree on this, and, and you've been around the game for a long time, yeah. but if we're going to agree that hockey is a game of time and space, okay, well, how do we get uh, to the point to where we can maximize time and space? Well, you got to be able to skate away from people. If you can't get away from anybody, there's probably right. not a good chance you're going to be able to find the time and space that is needed. Um, and I try and tell uh, my parents this, especially for some of my younger kids. I know that uh, before the podcast, we were kind of talking about lessons, but it's one of those things where I kind of give them this cautionary tale, and you might see this as, you know, you've been around for a long time, but you can get cut from a tryout before you touch a puck, and that's what I'm trying to tell a lot of these parents is, like, you're worried about their shot, you're worried about this, like, everything is coming from your skating, from your edge work. Like, if you don't focus on this stuff, it doesn't matter if he puts in, you know, 20 or 30 goals in a season, like, it's not going to be sustainable because he's going to reach a certain level to where everybody's a good skater, yeah. and he's not going to be able to rely on just that, this or that. So did you feel like, uh, you felt like you were being set up for success then because, you, you know, it seems like your family kind of knew that you, uh, that most people should start with the skating. Yeah, um... I think it obviously, it sets you up to, but uh, the skating is a big part of it, but yeah. it's still, you, you you know, there's the other parts to go with uh, oh, the yeah. hockey too. It's not just skating, but it, if you can't skate at the higher levels, you really struggle because like you said, time and space and my, uh, I have my, my family to be able to put me in at a young age really helped me get, uh, get where I am today. So I thank them for all their efforts to put me in yeah. every uh, skating class, everything they, uh, hockey camps, everything they've done. Yeah. Um, helped me be the player I was you know, yeah. as a young age. And then it obviously got me to pro. Yeah. But at, at what point, so we're, we're going to take you through this timeline here, but you haven't even picked up a stick yet. You haven't touched a puck yet. You're doing skating lessons. You're doing the figure skating lessons. At what point are they like, okay, Dan, we think that you're ready for a stick and a puck. And I, I know this is probably a while ago, but were you excited about when this happened? Or are you, uh, you know, because now you're starting to play hockey. Well, I had a lot of concussions, so I have a hard time remembering everything <laughs> back then. But um, yeah. no, back then, I, I always wanted to play hockey when I sat down, like when I was a young uh, boy, I used to watch hockey nonstop. Yeah. I think that's kind of a lost art these days is that we don't watch enough hockey no, as yeah, younger uh -huh. kids. Yep, and yep. I was with my grandfather, my family. We'd watch Hockey Night in Canada. Like, we'd watch uh, to the beginning of it, to the end of it, every every Saturday night. And we'd watch as much hockey as we possibly could. And yep. we live, breathe hockey. Yeah. That's just what it is in a small town in Canada. Yep. And that's kind of your social life is, uh, you know, in, in Texas, kind of football. And yeah. in Canada, it's hockey. And all your communities kind of get together and rally around the hockey teams. And really, uh, it's, a, it's a great sport, really builds character. And I, I thought uh, 
you know, it, it did a good job for me personally as building character. And it, I think it does a lot for, for young players too. Yeah. Well, and it's kind of funny too, because uh, I felt like when I was growing up and I'm not going to say like, well, kids these days, even though I do say that a lot on the <laughs> podcast, but kids these days, I don't feel like watch as much hockey as I did when I was growing up. So like one of the things that, uh, cause I actually had like a little, uh, I did a little survey with my high school team. Uh, I, I kind of, uh, I was asking, we had a bye week last week, so we didn't have any practices. We didn't have any games. So I was kind of asking everybody like, hey, you know, how many of you guys stepped out on the ice? This isn't a trick question. Uh, you know, so a couple of them raised their hands. No big deal. It's bye week. Uh, but then I asked them like, well, did anybody catch any hockey? Anybody watch any hockey? Only a couple people. I know it's preseason, so it's a little bit harder to watch, but only had a couple people raise their hands. I really felt like when I was growing up, like you said, I would watch hockey with my dad. Granted, there were only 30 channels and we didn't have <laughs> YouTube and we didn't have video game or, you know, it just yeah. it wasn't kind of the same. But it was kind of a uh, similar thing to where my dad and I would we would sit and we would watch hockey games and he would explain not the whole time, but he would explain why things are happening. So it was like we were having an enjoyable father and son moment, but he was also telling me kind of why things were happening and I didn't really put it together I really just thought we were having a moment which I guess we were but he was trying to kind of get me to start looking at what they were doing and kind of trying to replicate some of the things and some of the uh, ideas and strategies but I feel like the kids these days they don't they don't watch as much hockey as they used to but I don't know if that's just a broad generalization or not no like uh, obviously I coach at uh, the North American Hockey League and their ages are from you know 16 is the youngest and 21 is the oldest and we we ask them all the time they all want to get division 1 scholarships or yep. they want to play division 3 um, how many guys watch college hockey because that's their next step yep. and there's probably about four hands or three hands go up. I'm like, how can you know that you're ready to go to college hockey right. if you don't ever watch it? So right, yeah. It is really interesting. I I think I, they, they really enjoy playing, but they uh, maybe don't love the game. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I think in Canada, a lot of those guys, younger players, they're all in, and obviously you were all in and yeah, watching yeah, yeah. it. It's yeah. not just about Canada or U.S., but it's about – yeah. You know, it's a lifestyle. It was a lifestyle for me growing up. I had a lot of passion about playing hockey. I still have a ton of passion about teaching this, teaching the game. Yeah. And obviously when I uh, played the game, but it's a really, uh, it's a great sport. It, I think it really helps kids grow up and yeah. uh, makes them who they are. Some of them. Yeah, no, for sure. Cause uh, to be honest with you, I'm not quite sure where I would be without the sport. Because uh, I was kind of one of those kids, like, I'm okay as long as I have something that keeps my attention. You know, <laughs> like, I've got a, I'm kind of that kid. Like, uh, I, I did I did well in school, but as far as, like, my focus, I was, I've always been able to focus much more on a sport that's moving a 1,000 miles an hour <laughs> as opposed to sitting at a, a desk and, you know, yeah. paying attention to a board. So I think all the kids kind of live or uh, learn a little bit differently, but that was always kind of uh, uh, one thing with me. But uh, anyway, so at, at, at what point now, uh, at what point are you starting? Starting to get, uh, you know, and I understand at this point hockey is competitive almost everywhere in Canada. But at what point are you like, okay, like I'm pretty good at this, and this might actually turn into like a career? Like, at, at what age are you where you start? It to was think probably in junior when I, I started. Um, I actually left to go uh, play junior B, and I left my hometown at 16 years old, and I went and played and. I did really well my first year and I had a chance to potentially go to the OHL or go to college. And 
if you go to the OHL, you have to make a tough decision. You have to decide a different path. You can't go to college if you go to the OHL. So I ended up going, a family friend took me to a college hockey game and I saw the atmosphere in Michigan State against uh, Western Michigan. Couldn't believe how awesome it was. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I want to do this. Right. And yeah. um, I knew from that day on, I wanted a Division One scholarship. I was doing whatever it took to get there. And yeah. um, I obtained a Division One scholarship at Colgate University, which is, uh, you know, I had best four years of my life. It was unreal there. Yeah. And then I ended up going, obviously, playing pro um, in Shreveport. And, yeah. Um, now I'm coaching. Yeah. So. Well, so so b before you kind of uh, get in that, uh, uh, before you get your college scholarship, though, um, so you you want to you want to play college? How, how confident? And I, I ask this of a lot of uh, ex pros and people that have made it up into the higher levels. But at what point do you kind of know that like you belong, or that you're you're almost certain, or, or were you ever certain that that was going to come in, or was there a point where you were just waiting for that to come in, or like, how does that work? Because not a lot of people go through that. Even really good hockey players don't have a college scholarship show yeah. up on their... You know. I thought you never know that you're good, you're good enough until you actually go and you're there. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I think what, what we struggle with as young players is we don't want to go through the process. I had to go through the process like everyone else. Yeah. I had to uh, you know, go through some good times and bad times, but it wasn't always perfect. Uh, the yep. mental toughness is tough when you, we, I probably my first year in junior hockey, I started on the third line or fourth line and I had to work my way up. And yep. um, most kids, if they're not on the top line, they just quit or they want to yep. leave hockey. And I felt like, heck no, I love this yeah. game. And I, my first, first uh, week I started on the fourth line and then I just, by Christmas yep. time, I was on the top line. So yep. yeah. you have to work through the process of everything in life. And I think I you just never know if you're going to end, end up getting a scholarship or not. But yeah. you, if you don't go and work every day and compete every day and like train the right way and eat the right way and actually yeah. do the right things to put yourself in the best spot to be right. a Division One college athlete, you're never going to be there. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, and I've always had this idea, kind of going back to the, the lines that you were talking about. I've kind of always, um, and I don't know if this is right or wrong. It's just the way that I've done it. But sometimes you can learn a lot about a, a player, especially if it's one of the better players on your team, by throwing him on third line for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> and figure out how he thinks about it or what, how, what, if he's willing to get through it. There's some of them, some kids, and I, I haven't coached, obviously, at the levels that you have. But some of those, it can be the best player on the team throw him on the third line for two shifts and he's ready to quit the whole team, yeah. you know? And it's one of those like, okay, like I see how this goes now. Like I know what I'm working with. And you have other kids that are, you know, you know, probably skill wise on that third line, but they're busting their butt. And it's like, man, if I could get that will and that skill to, you know, kind of translate over. But it, it, it is that, that thing where there's a lot of kids that haven't been tested or don't get tested until they get to that college level. There's a lot of kids that I don't think a lot of people understand. They might, they might be on first line from the age of eight to 18, you know, and then all of a sudden they go play juniors, college, whatever. They might not make that first line. And whether or not you're uh, able to adapt to that or willing to push through through that or, you know, it, it, it's just that's what it takes to get to that next level. It's not all skill oriented. There's a lot of mental toughness that uh, uh, encompasses that, if you will. Yeah. My, I have a great story about pro. Um, I ended up being runner up for MVP in the whole league in the central division. And my coach, 
the next year, you would think, you know, you'd be on the top line. He ended up, we only had three lines in pro. So yep. he ended up putting me on the third line with two young guys that were just really workhorses. So yep. we put on our, you know, on our sixth, three LP, third line pride. Yep. So, and we ended up being one of the best lines just because we ended up working together and like they worked their tail off and we yep. just, we, we didn't assume anything. So <laughs> I think there's, we, in hockey, nothing's given to you. If you have that mentality, everything's earned, yeah. you end up really succeeding in hockey. It is a mental grind sometimes. It is tough. Yeah. There, You assume you should be here. Yeah. Don't ever do that. That's yeah. a mistake that you can make in hockey. And I hope uh, the people listening that are <laughs> going through the grind, that they can learn from us. Yeah. Well, da well so, Dan, it's funny you say that, though, because I do think that that's, that's – it's one of the big reasons why I do the podcast is to hopefully save people time and money or whatever, just to give, you know, uh, people an understanding of like kind of what it takes to get to certain spots or, um, cause I feel like a lot of times they're, I'm not saying that they're, uh, and I, I'm not talking about kids that are, uh, you know, playing college or up in the NA, but, um, a lot of the, you know, U8 parents and U10 parents, like sometimes the, the, the sport itself can kind of seem, um, a little intimidating because especially if it's coming from a family uh, that doesn't know much about it. So I feel like it, this is one of the reasons why we do the podcast is just to give people information that they might not normally have because they haven't been through that process. So I, I guarantee you, Dan, any information that you do have uh, will be uh, well accepted by most people. So any any tidbits of information would be great. But uh, anyway, so you're getting into, and I kind of want to slide into this a little bit here, but um, so you're, you're going from Colgate. And uh, so what is that kind of uh, professional, that next step? I know that you uh, you ended up a mud bug, um, but uh, what was that kind of process through? I mean, were you... So, uh, yeah, it, it was... That's the biggest thing after you're done school is like, what's the next step? Am yep. I gonna, am I good enough to play pro? Kind of like it that goes through your mind. I'd like to keep continue to keep playing, or should I just go into the workforce? Um, mm -hmm. I had a great job offer in New York City, right out of Colgate. They they do a great job trying to obviously help you land a job right. from a great school, um, and that's why you're you know go to one of those schools is to try and land a job right, right yeah, away and yeah. they helped you with that and then i had to make a decision uh basically to either go to new york and start working or go to an american league camp i went to an american league camp in rochester and i ended up uh signing a two-way deal uh with the rochester americans and they sent me to shreveport and mm -hmm. i was like where's shreveport yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah um it, you know it, it was it was a great decision. I went down there. I really enjoyed the eight years of my life down there. It was really um, great, great organization. They treated players really well. Yeah. They had great fan support. I couldn't ask for, you know, a, a better career. We won three championships there. And mm -hmm. um, it, was, it was a really fun place to play. And But you're always – there's always self-doubt in everything you do. But yeah. you just got to be confident in the process and confident that you're doing the right things and you're – you, you just got to work the next guy, yeah, you know, yeah. beside you. But it, it's kind of funny you're talking about um, – you're kind of talking about you, you know, not knowing where Shreveport is. And <laughs> I, and I, I, I kind of want to – because I, I do like to bring this up. Um, but it's one of those things to where 
we can all agree that hockey is growing in the South. I mean, I don't think there's anybody that would no be question. able to argue that it's growing. But then I think that we need to start getting away from, and I think it's finally starting to happen, is this like, oh, North and South and North and South. It's like, well, who do you think is running stuff down South? People from up North. Like, <laughs> it's not like they, it's yeah. not like the ice is different, you know? It's the, yeah. so why can't you? So at a certain point, I don't think people realize like, yeah, what's happened is that over time as the game expands, you have ex-professionals like yourself that kind of land in an area and they're like, well, I'm going to make this area good at hockey. Yeah. And, then, and then people are surprised that that area gets good at hockey. And it's like, why is there any surprise like this? You know, yeah. and I, for some reason, I haven't found anybody that has been able to debunk this theory that I have. But it's, <laughs> you know, there's a reason why hockey is getting better at South is because because the, the hockey, the, the sport is growing. And so the professionals are moving south. And after they retire, they might be sick of that cold weather. So they kind of just <laughs> want to retire. Because when I was talking to your ex-teammate, and I believe you coached him for maybe a minute, uh, but when I had Kenny Carroll on, he was like, yeah, I was kind of done with that, like, winter. I was kind of yeah. enjoying Like He's like, I kind of like the, uh, the, the warm yeah. weather there. But, uh, yeah. you know, I, I just think it's funny how, you know, certain people up north are surprised that uh, the game is growing down here. You know, kids are getting drafted down here now. And it's like, why should you be surprised? Like, all you have to do is freeze a sheet of ice yeah. and then get the people to know what they're doing, you know? So it's just one of those things. But you ended up retiring and kind of staying down here. But what, what kind of, because I'm assuming that uh, the sport itself didn't keep you down here, but you had to kind of enjoy where you were, where you were living, whether or not that be Louisiana or uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. But you, you must have stuck around because you enjoyed something about it, yeah? Yeah, I, I love this. Like, I loved it down in Shreveport. And then I obviously had an opportunity with the Trezeras. They gave me an opportunity to coach pro. Yep. Um, and then <clears throat> this area, like, what can I say? It's it's great. Yep. It's just a great area. There's always something going on. It's just, a, you know, a fun city to live in. And it's great weather. You can go golfing. You can go yeah, to yeah. a sporting event. You can go. Everything's, like, right here at your fingertips. And yeah. Um, and it's, it's really hard to leave here. Um, I, I have a young family and I have had opportunities to leave and go to other places and coach, but you know, I don't want to drag them all over either. Yeah, yeah. And mm -hmm. you yeah. know, with the young family. So yeah. I really, uh, you know, wanted to make this home and make it home for my, not just me, but my family. And yeah. I, I obviously still want to trace the dream, you know, go and coach at the highest level, but yeah. It, you know, they have aspirations and dreams too. So, oh, yeah, you, gotta, yeah. you yeah, know, yeah. you got to balance it all. So I kind of always, uh, whenever I have, well, just coaches in general, but especially coaches that coach at a higher level, I kind of like to uh, kind of talk about your first year coaching. So I'm talking about your transition, and I'm not sure when this happened, uh, but from being a player to a coach. Um, how do you feel like that went? And what was your what was your first team to actually coach after retiring from the game? I ended up coaching the Brahmas here, um, and it was it was difficult because a lot of the players, because <laughs> I was coaching pro, a lot of the players I recruited, I either played with or I was friends with mm -hmm. on other on other teams, and a lot of them were older than me, and it was it was a challenge, yeah. and I had to obviously separate, you know, uh, being a player, I was always really well liked, uh, and yeah. I. I uh, like doing stuff with the players, and I uh, you, you have to separate that a little bit. It was a little bit difficult, and um, it was tough at the beginning because we struggled a little, and mm -hmm. we had a really good team. But then we got things rolling, and we ended up getting forty some wins in our first yep. first year um, as a head coach, and 
we didn't find success the first 10, 10, 11 games, but once we got rolling, we played really good. And, um, you know, we, we, uh, we continued keep getting better and better and better. And yep. we're one of the top teams by the end of the year. Yeah. So. I mean, cause I've always, uh, I mean, I consider myself to be a good hockey player. I mean, at no point was I going to go play D one or, or pro, but I consider myself to be a good player. Uh, but when I made that transition from playing, uh, to coaching, I was a little bit too confident. I didn't realize <laughs> that just because I knew things, That's it didn't point. mean that I knew how to coach. Yeah. So I had to learn how to coach. Did you have to like yeah. go through that? Even uh, though, even though you knew what needed to be learned. I really had a difficult time at the beginning because I would just go out there and work. And yep. now they, if they weren't working, I couldn't physically get out there and work. I mm-hmm. had to, Tell them. So I probably apologized to my ex players for the first two years because it was uh, it was a little tough on them. I would yeah. like get upset. Um, yeah. And I really got help from this guy named John Sawada, which is a, a sports psychologist that he actually came in here and he was working with a little with the Dallas Stars as well. Mm-hmm. But he uh, really, I think, helped my career. He really taught me how to communicate well with the players how to talk to them, ask questions, how to be calm in tough yep. situations yep. where I really didn't get coached like that before. Like no one tells you, there's no manual that you say, yeah, hey, yeah, this yeah. is how you got to coach. Yeah. He really goes like, Dan, like what? You got to think about things a different way. Like you got to deal with, it's a parent, adult, child yeah. uh, is kind of mentality of talking to them and ask more questions and build a, build relationships with them and yep. instead of like, you're going to go down a path. This career is going to go down nowhere. If yeah. you keep up with, you know, you can win games, but yeah. these players will stop playing for you. It's not sustainable. And, correct. Yeah. And he really helped me, uh, understand what I was doing wrong about coaching. And I did a lot of right things too, but he really brought those points up of how to correct and how to talk to yeah. players to get the most. I think it's, it's management, right? So yeah. in management, you can't do everything. You got to manage yeah manage people and if you're mean to them or you're not treating them right yeah they go around the wrong path so it's how how you make sure you they know that you care yeah and if they if they don't get something out of it then yeah. you know they're not going to give everything they got and to win you have to yeah. have them believe and in, in themselves and give everything they got for the team well i think like j- just like the game continues to grow i think coaching continues to grow as well because uh and i'll go ahead and i'll throw my own dad under the bus because my dad <laughs> my dad was one of my coaches he was you know my travel coach for for most of my life but the idea back then was they were they were explaining things to you but if you did, like you just needed to get it there wasn't like a hey we're gonna sit down and see how you feel and talk about it and you know there what there wasn't there, there wasn't it it was a black and white it's like you're yeah. gonna come to a fork and road and you're either gonna understand this or you're not um but i do feel like with that kind of evolution it is good that that we're coaches are learning how to communicate better because i do think that you can get more out of your players by being able to communicate because i can remember i think it was my first you know maybe couple seasons of coaching and I still do this every once in a while and when I get to this point I really have to take a step back and realize that I'm not doing things the right way but there's times to where what I'm saying makes all the sense in the world and the reason that it's not actually being transferred into my players brains or whatever is the way that I'm presenting it 
Because there's times where you're you're saying something clear as day, but you look at your team, they're looking at you, and you realize that they are not actually listening to you because of the way that you're communicating. <laughs> there's almost times to where, because I'm, I'm a nice guy, and I think you're a very nice guy, but if I reach a certain level of coaching, I've had to realize how to not seem super frustrated because that's what they focus on. Yeah. They focus on coaches mad. And then they stop listening to like what I'm actually trying to tell them or, or trying to get through to them. So I've had to, just the same as you were saying, I've had to realize how to communicate better. And almost, because I, I steal a bunch of stuff from my dad. I don't think that a lot of people realize it, but if you were to take a lot of what my dad says and the way he says it and how he does it, I really just stole a bunch of stuff from him. But I've had to change that part of it a little bit yeah. to become a little bit more like, Hey, I'm open to questions. Like we can communicate, you know, whereas back in the day it was almost like <laughs> you can ask questions, but you better not. Like, you know what I mean? Like if you slow this down, like if, if you're being a, uh, you know, but I, I'm glad that it, it's kind of, uh, it's getting that way. So it's kind of interesting that, uh, you know, they're having like a psych psychologist in this now. That's it, right. it makes sense though. Cause they know how to communicate to people and it doesn't matter what the information that you need to communicate is. It's just that, we're going to help you find a better way to communicate it. But that's not being soft. It's just figuring out how to get the best out of your players because you're trying to communicate the best. So yeah. That always works out. Um, but anyway, so I did want to get into kind of your time at uh, Shreveport here because uh, we had Kenny Carroll on, and um, I, it's one of those things where I, uh, I'm new to the area. I've only lived down here a few years, but um, when I meet somebody and kind of learn about them, and um, I was a big Tulsa Oiler guy. I'm from Tulsa originally. <laughs> So I ho hopefully you don't jump across the desk right now. No, I won't. Uh, but anyway, so I'm, I'm a Tulsa guy. I was uh, they, they were my favorite team growing up from when I was a you know age of six or seven to when I got a little bit older. But uh, we were kind of talking about that that community and that that feeling of um, you know I don't think a lot of people understand these days that a lot of those minor league hockey teams they were super I'm mean, not just successful but super popular. They were loved by the communities. And I'm not saying that that doesn't happen anymore because it does. Um, but can you kind of talk about maybe your time uh, in Shreveport? Because from what Kenny told me, it reminds me a lot of Tulsa. Uh, so really, I was talking to Kenny knowing nothing about Shreveport. But I was like, oh, this just sends me back to the day when yeah. I was in Tulsa. And, 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 and you got to actually meet your heroes, so to speak. So I was kind of talking to him about how I had, you know, certain people that I always looked up to, but those weren't necessarily NHL players. Those were my local pros. Like, those were the guys that they, they, they taught our camps every summer. Every summer they'd have an Oilers camp, and we would get to meet every – they would be in charge of keeping us alive for a whole week, <laughs> literally. Our parents would <laughs> just drop us off yeah. with five or six minor league hockey pros and be like, all right, like, we'll see <laughs> you later. And then yeah. you realize, like, oh, these hockey pros are awesome. And yeah. they thought the kids were awesome. We thought they were awesome. But, like, it was kind of uh, – it was like they taught us a lot, but it was also kind of just like a, a little bit of a party, you know what yeah. I mean? Because it was yeah. just fun. And we, But we got to really, like, love those guys. We go up, bang on the glass, and they would see us. But, you know, and I'm not saying that the, the stars don't have that. And I don't think the expectation is that every NHL team can kind of have that. But – I think there's a lot of people that don't know what they're missing out by having like that professional local hockey team that really feels like family, you know? Yeah. I think like the minor pros, obviously it's a little bit different than the NHL. Like there's a personal touch. You get to really like they run camps and they're yeah, yeah. there all the time and you really get to 
like we went to a ton of birthday parties uh-huh. and we would go to a ton of events and uh but the the, the fans and the people treated us unbelievable. we go to a restaurant and eat mm-hmm. and we roll where's our bill and they oh that oh, person uh-huh. paid it yeah and then we're like yeah well thank you and uh-huh. they they look at you like they known you for 15 years yeah. when you never really met them but said hi to them one time oh yeah, yeah 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 it's it, it was a really unique experience um you know being in shreveport because we had a, a great booster club we had a great fan support and we were we were great uh great to them and i think they were great to us i think it was just a really good mix i think uh, uh it, it get when you when you bring in the junior teams it's a little different because guys are gone mm-hmm. like every couple of years so you yep. don't really get to know them as much so it's just a different feel yep where in pro guys would hang around for like seven eight years and you they would be ingrained in the community you'd see them at a grocery store you'd see them yep. at charity events you'd see them on tv like yep. you just kind of got to know them really well so yeah um i really enjoyed my time you know playing there and uh i i uh I kind of miss that pro yeah. pro days, but yeah. you know, I really enjoy what I do now too. Well, and and I, I did I, I did tell uh, Kenny the same thing, but I hope you realize that you positively influenced and got a lot of people to start playing hockey. You got you know because a lot of those kids that got involved within Shreveport, they were probably like me or whatever. They weren't watching NHL. They yeah. just wanted they wanted something local, something that they could get their hands on, something that uh, yeah, we, actually meant something to them. We did camps there. Kenny and I did camps, yeah. ton of camps. Like we do roller hockey. We didn't even mm-hmm. have ice in the yeah. in the summer, so we did roller hockey camps. Uh, you know, all the way from or Tyler, Texas, all the way. Uh, you know, in Shreveport, we did a bunch of camps. We did a bunch of camps in Chicago. We did them yeah. all over. So. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we traveled a little bit for that, and we had to make extra money in the summertime. <laughs> yeah. So we wanted yeah. to help out the communities and help out, you know, us as well. So. Yeah. Well, at the same time, and if it was anything like Tulsa was though, it's, and kind of like you were saying, it's like uh, you could find a plate of hot food anywhere in the city. You know what I mean? It yeah. was one of those because I can remember uh, there was a big uh, one of our more famous goalies. His name was Tony Martino. I don't know if you remember. Oh, I remember Tony. Tony Martino. <laughs> but he'd be like, uh, Tony and Lisa are coming over for dinner, and I'm a young kid, so I'm just like, yeah, awesome. Like he was because I played goalie when I was younger, and uh, he was like, you know, my favorite. Like he was literally just the biggest thing in the world to me at that time. But just having them come over for dinner. But, you know, I, I realized it's like, oh, like, you know, this is happening for them all over the place. Like, they might be coming over for dinner at our house, but then they can go over to dinner. At <laughs> but it was like we were making sure that, like, those people wanted to stay, That's you know, right. like yeah. we want you to stay like we yeah. don't. Because there were a couple of times where people, you know, for their own, obviously, uh, personal, financial, whatever business, they would end up moving away from the team. And there were people that were like heartbroken. You know, literally 100%. just just like, no, like this guy cannot leave. You know, it was just a, it was a big deal. But I just I really wish that people um, <laughs> not to say, you know, minor league hockey is still great and still pumping. But there's just something about back in the day when it was a little bit more uh, new and fresh. And, and a lot of those guys and I talk about this quite a bit, too. But and like yourself, like there's so many guys that were you know, inches away from making the NHL. It's not like they're, you know, we weren't getting something watered down. These are just guys that for some reason or another, and I can remember just so many stories about, uh, you know, a Doug Lawrence or this or that. It's like, <laughs> hey, like this guy, like he could have played, but this, that, whatever, you know, nothing against Dougie. Sorry, yeah. you know, he's one of my all-time favorites too, but you just have certain guys. It's like, yeah, like 
skill-wise, like, he's definitely good enough to make it, but that's kind of what it was. It was like just for one reason or another, this or that didn't work out, but yeah. the hockey was still really, really good. Yeah. Um, it's just uh, the fine line between being making it and not making it is, yeah. is usually about some is about being younger and getting a chance. Yeah. If some of these guys got a chance, they might've made it. You just yeah. never know. It's but just but you also sad. see, and this isn't to talk down on the NHL or whatever, but you, you see all these, uh, you know, all their uh, ex pros, their kids, they always make it. Like I've, I haven't seen one, you know, ex pro kid that hasn't made it. like Shane Doan's kid, who I guess isn't that great. He got drafted in the NHL. He got both Kachucks are you know good enough, but They're you got really Lemieux. <laughs> but it's like you never see one that like doesn't make it to the NHL, even for just a little bit. Yeah. You know, it's like there's always kind of that connection or like, oh, we'll, we'll get your kid there. Like yeah. if he can't stay there, that's on him. But we can at least <laughs> we can at least give him the opportunity, which is what a lot of people are just looking for is the opportunity uh, to try out or play or, or to whatever. So, um, but anyway, so moving on. Uh, so we're going to talk kind of uh, about your coaching career currently, though. Um, so you're currently coaching the NAHL Brahmas, correct? Yes. And you guys are doing fairly well, correct? Uh, we've always done well. We're struggling a little this year. We're 500, which is not uh, say, usually thought, good for us. Yeah. So, uh, but listen, it's a new team. We're we're going through some stuff at the beginning of the year. Every team we've ever won championships on, yep. you've gone through some. It's either in the beginning or in the middle or the end. Yep. You have to go through some adversity, and we're going through it right now. We have some injury, major injuries that really uh, hurt us, and we're just trying to figure out who we are. We're yep. learning to be a team we we just we make a mistake and we don't have anyone to cover for us right now because we're not playing the right way we're not we call it like playing like a fist not a finger yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah. we're we're playing like a finger and not a fist so yeah, we, yeah. We're, once we get there we're, we're going through uh you know tons of video we're putting in the extra work we're doing all the right steps and you know all those stuff will pay off though then we'll be winning hockey here soon but yeah. We're just we're going through not great hockey right now, and we know it as a group, but that's part of being yeah. a process. Well, it's just identifying because the first step of that is identifying that there's a problem, and if you have a whole bunch we of people that, that are humble <laughs> enough, you like, what well, can we all agree that there is a problem? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Now we can. You know what I mean? Like yeah. now we can work on it. But, but yeah. we've always had great teams here. Like uh, we found a lot of success in the junior ranks as well as the pro ranks and um you know i credit to our players they work their tail off they compete hard and yep. they uh they really buy into the process here it's not always easy here because yep. you have to work is extra hard we we actually have our guys watch at least you know 40 minutes of video every day yep. then they got to go to the gym for over an hour and 10 minutes every day then they got to go to yoga then they got to go I hey, uh, do individual video. Hey, so before you like, go any further, because <laughs> I've had this idea for so long, but I, I've never implemented it because I've never been at a point where I can, I can implement it, but yoga. We do yoga. Yes. I think I, I've, I've thought that's been a great idea for the longest time. Yeah. Uh, I'm in the high school ring, so we cannot afford a yoga instructor. But I think that like with the way that the game's being played now, it makes a lot of sense. We do a lot of it for preventative injury because you're stretching. We don't stretch enough as hockey players. Yep. You watch figure skaters, you watch all those guys, they, they stretch all the time mm -hmm. and they're flexible. So they're mobile yep. and they, their strides can get even longer and get better and mm -hmm. you can be more athletic. Yep. And um, 
I just think our bodies, like we just work out and we do, we don't stretch enough, so we get tight. Yep. And then you don't, you're not fast enough and you're not quick enough. And we also got a strength guy that uh, he was a track star, and we, this is a little bit different. We mm-hmm. normally get a football guy that's just a bulky guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And he brought up a great point to me that I never really thought of. He goes, uh, you know, you guys, we should be playing on one foot, not two feet. Yeah. And he's right. Like, there's no guy that can run, um, usually runs fast that skates slow. Yep. So he's really teaching us how to play much quicker, if that yep. makes sense. Yeah, so. yeah. No, it, it does make sense. And when, when I do my lessons, and especially skating lessons, um, there will be probably uh, – I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes at a time where we just focus on one leg at a time. Because people, and when I say this, people are like, no, you're wrong, but I am right. You don't skate with two feet. Like, you don't, both feet are not off the ice at the same time. Like, you don't skate with two feet. You skate with one at a time. And there's always one up. I mean, unless you're gliding, you have one foot up off the ice. 100%. At all times. And it's just one of those things, too, to where um, if they can realize that it also makes you a lot more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, you can be more deceptive if you are able to be on one foot because that one foot can do a lot of things. You know what I mean? That yep. one foot could literally spin around a 360-degree angle. If you're on two feet, that takes a lot longer and there's not as much open because you're also seeing that, um, and I like to teach this to my kids if they can get it, um, but when you talk about like opening up into the you know, mohawk or whatever you'd like to call it, but like opening up your hips and like keeping, keeping everything in front of you, like you have to be able to do that by know, skating. Like we were talking about before, everything goes full, full circle. But it's one of those things to where if you're going to receive or give a pass, like if you can do, if you think about it as being a 360 degree circle, like you want to be able to maximize that 360 degree circle. And if you're standing on two feet, that circle is not going to be maximized. If you're on one foot, you can maximize that circle a lot easier. So I think that's the best way. If anybody's listening, hope I described that okay. But uh, (laughs) anyway, well, uh, we're both in agreement that uh, skating is uh, is super important here. But uh, anyway, so but uh, getting into uh, obviously, you guys are 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 kind of pushing through, uh, pushing pushing through some some. I don't I don't want to call them tough times. It's just you're you're usually you guys are usually really good. Now you're just having a, a couple rough games. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But but we're 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 pushing past that now. Where do you see you guys as far as, because I know you have an NA, uh, I don't want to get this wrong, NA3HL? Yeah. So yeah. that's that's the team. So are there, um, are you bringing guys up from that? Or yes. is that like your farm team so people are still competing? Or how does that yes, work? So we have our NHL team. A lot of those guys, we had 16 guys get committed to Division One. We had another four uh, guys go to Division Three, yep. which is great. They're all getting to play NCAA hockey, which is they're going to school and they're student athletes. And that's the biggest thing that we can say is that we're really pushing guys into college. Right, and, yeah, yeah. and our NA3 team has done a really, really good job here. Ryan Anderson and now um, we we have, uh, you it's know, DJ Ed Galliani. Um, he's their new coach here now. He's really um, made that next step in transitioning our NA3 team. And that it used to be a big parity mm-hmm. between the NA and the NA3. It used to be really big. Now the gap is really close, right. especially on some of the top teams like the our, our Brahmas team here. Yep. And they, so we have, you know, Alex Secord is on our team right now that played in the NA3, yeah. and now he's on our team. We have Blake Rothstein was on the NA3 uh, team, and now he's playing with us. So there is a path. Yeah. We have uh, uh, 
Dylan Smith, he ended up being on the NA3 team. He's on now on our NA team. So there's a path. There's a yep. way to get there. And uh, they got to they gotta go through the process just like everyone else. It's not right. easy to go down and play in the NA3 uh, sometimes. And then, yep. but, they, but they have good belief and there's a good path. And now they're up playing with us. Well, but it's, a, it's an easy roadmap because it's the same organization. 100%. It's, a, it's like we're not shipping you <laughs> yeah. off anywhere. No. Like you literally come and show up at the same rink and you just, which there's not that many places because I've, I've been around a little bit. Um, but there's not that many places that have something like that. No. Most of the time, it's like, okay, we have an A3, but all right, now you're moving somewhere else to do it. Now you're saying, okay, like, same organization. These players are going up and down. I think that creates a healthy competition, but it also creates a um, – they know that they can get there because they're surrounded by guys that have done it. Yeah, and they, well, the, they'll come out to our practices. I get to really know a lot of those – Mm-hmm. Kids, we have every Tuesday morning skates with that are allowed to come on the ice to do skills drills with skills and drills with us. So, yeah. um, they're the next kind of guy up. If we yeah. have an injury, boom, we're, we got them right here. It's like having yeah. our own farm team right in our building. And I'm sorry, what did you say? Uh, Al's son's name was uh, Secord. Al Secord. Alec. Alec. Okay. Yeah. Al and Alec. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Al. Al has been a guest on the show. Uh, I believe he was. Uh, I can't remember what the episodes anywhere anymore <laughs> are, but he was a great guy. But uh, uh, I met both of his sons. Um, I think one of them. Did one of them go to Culver? Or I don't know. Culver. One, Culver. That was it. Okay. Both of so, them are, went to Culver. Okay, Culver. Okay, so that's what it was. But I met both of his sons. Both very nice. They were both getting ready to do a skate, but. Uh, uh, I believe it was the taller, darker-haired one. I yeah, believe that plays for. That's the one plays for us. Now. Okay, good, good. But yeah, but but he was a very uh, respectful young man, which I wouldn't be surprised for because Al is one of the greatest. Uh, I don't know. He, he's unbelievable. He coached he, with me at Southlake. So. He like, uh, and I I say this to you, and this is one hundred percent honesty. I left our podcast feeling like I wasn't good enough as a per. Like he just made. He was just the a great person. Like Al, Al just is, and I, 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 this isn't even a joke, but he kind of talked about like the light in the episode. And he was talking about like, you know, you just, you want to be the light. Like people want the light. You want to be the light. You want to positive, essentially saying positively affect people. But if you want to talk about the light, Al Secord is the light. Yeah, he he is. is just the, he's positive, but strong. You know what I mean? Like he, he he's, he's firm. Well, is his... no nonsense. He, he oh. he's, he's a straight shooter. He's oh. going to tell you what he thinks and. I coached with them at Southlake for, I think, three, four years, and yeah. I had a great experience. The stories that uh, Al has and the experiences that he's gone through was, you know, a 50-goal score in the NHL. It's crazy that some people, um, you know, don't even <laughs> recognize him here as a 50-goal score in the yeah. NHL. Like, to my guys, you know what that is? That's yeah. Al Secord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> you you want to talk about being, like, mentally tough, though, and mentally he's prepared? He's the most mentally tough. He is, he's like, it, it was, like, next level just as far as, like, because um, I, I kind of, you know, not to not to say I'm cheating anything, but I kind of ask similar questions for a lot of these episodes. But I have some, a lot of similar ones as you as far as, like, oh, did you know, you know, you're going to make here or whatever. And he he just very modestly was, like, well, just, like, I always was confident in my abilities. Like yeah. I just always, and just, it seems like he's always, just always kind of lived his life that way. Like I'm yeah. confident in my uh, abilities, but this is an Al Secor's uh, episode, but you should go and listen <laughs> to it. Uh, it was one of my favorite ones, but just when you talk about like a guy's guy, cause I was actually a little bit nervous. I was like, Oh, I, uh, I met him one time and kind of briefly asked him to come on the show. But when he finally came on, it was one of those things. I drove out to his house.
house and it was like a uh, it, it, was a, it was a whole thing, but he just ended up being just a super nice guy. Uh, and I'm not telling anybody to, if you see Al Secord, I'm not saying go up and start talking to him right away or anything, but uh, he's just he one of the, like that, though. He, but, he, <laughs> but he's just like, uh, I think a lot of people have this uh, wrong connotation of some of these guys, um, but he is just the most down to earth, just genuine yes, human really being man. That, that, you would, uh, that you'd ever meet. But uh, anyway, um, okay, well, I kind of want to just. Uh, get back kind of into um, what we're doing here in Nitex. This is the first time I've recorded at Nitex, obviously, uh, with me being a manager at one of the Star Centers in Mansfield. Uh, we do a lot of stuff in Mansfield, but can you kind of just talk about uh, uh, what Nitex has going on now? Because I always want people to understand that, like, the podcast is about growing hockey. As long as you're freezing ice, you know, I... I enjoy Star Centers because I work for them and they sign my paychecks. But at the end of the day, as long as you're freezing ice and having people come and skate on it, um, I think that's what this is all supposed to be about. But uh, can you kind of talk about some things that uh, Tex is doing? Or Because uh, I'm not yeah. completely up to speed. Yeah. Um, there's so many events that you know, Nitex has um, besides the hockey as well. Yeah. They have a lot. Like there's a three. It used to be a three-rink uh, facility and mm-hmm. they turned it into a two rank and now we have a volleyball uh, partner that's over there as well and we have roller derby that happens or wrestling happens there's gun shows that will happen there's all kinds of events that happen over here but we have uh, a lot of figure skating events that go on here mm-hmm. as well um, I think Frank does a really good job of making sure there's this place is just humming. It's always busy. There's always something going on. Our staff does a really good job of making sure when we do have our games that it's filled and our Zeromas is, you know, it does a really good job of making sure that uh, the customer service there is great. The pizzas there are great. I was about so to say, food I've, is I've, had, I, I've <laughs> had the pizza. Most of the time when I come up to Nitex, I actually try and grab the pizza and grab a beer. Yeah. Try and go to, try and go to uh, Zoroma and, <laughs> uh, and, and, and make that happen. But um, no, it's, uh, it, it's good that all that's happening. And, um, and like I said, I always try and reiterate, but this is not a star center podcast. This is just a hockey podcast. This is uh, all hockey is good. Just get out on the ice uh, and, and, and do that whole thing there. But uh, anyway, we're getting a little bit close on time here. So I'd like to go through something with you. And uh, this seems like a stressful thing, but it's really not. Um, but we're going to go ahead and go through the shout out. Um, so the shout out can be anything. Um, oh, uh, actually, no, I have to because I, I promised a bunch of people that I would do this. But I have to ask you about this one thing before we get to the shout out. I almost forgot. Is there any chance... Because I've heard this about you. I've heard that there's a chance that you might pinch people on the face off. <laughs> I heard a little story that uh, yeah. if, you, if, you get, if you could imagine getting holes in your gloves and possibly just trying to be a little bit uh, uh, cantankerous, or if you're really trying to get underneath somebody's skin, that you could pinch them if you had holes in your gloves. Do you know anything about this, Dan Wildfunk? Yes. Uh, are you are you gonna I, own up? Yeah, I, this is I, and this isn't one person. This is I like know. two or three. I'm gonna own up to it. I I actually started doing the pinching. <laughs> so in a scrum, my my teammates used to really laugh because I would go into a scrum and with the regular glove, no holes in it, I could pinch a guy in the back of his. Wait, arm. through the glove? Yeah. Oh, and I'll do it to you if you want. No, so. I don't. Well, actually, I don't know. Maybe if you if you want to teach me, I might let you teach me. <laughs> if we're but, gonna say it's a teaching moment. But it's uh, my my buddies would we come in a scrum and all you see this guy you go, oh my god, that hurt. 
Yeah, yeah. And he yeah. would go to the ref. He just pinched me. And the ref's like, Yeah. He did like yeah. it's brilliant. You wimp. It's <laughs> like, brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So I used to draw some penalties and get laughs from the guys, but I wouldn't recommend that. So <laughs> yeah. that's not a teaching moment I'm proud of. Well, no, but uh, to be honest with you, and I, I feel like this doesn't get taught as much, but, uh, you know, saying that, uh, you know, my dad had played hockey for a long time. Uh, he was good friends with uh, Gary Unger. Gary Unger was kind I know of Gary our. Gary really well. So he's been on the podcast too. So Gary's been on the Gary's podcast. Good man. Uh, but Gary is essentially like the godfather of Tulsa. Yeah, he is. So he's like, whenever he does anything, but he would always come out uh, and he, he never coached specifically any of our youth travel teams, but he'd come out literally just to show us how to do defensive measures with our sticks, none of which are allowed anymore. Yeah. But if it just but the, the thing is, is I, I think that there's still a lot to be learned. And I understand why coaches might not want to teach these things. But there's he was really good about teaching like gray areas with sticks, you know, and yeah. just things that you could do uh, manipulations, uh, certain things. And I feel like those things should still be taught. Like, because, and, and not to be whatever, and I hope the Mansfield doesn't fire me, but if you're not cheating, you're not trying, you know? Like, yeah. if you know, if, if you're playing, like, hard defense, granted, like, you can't really do the clutching and grabbing anymore like you used to. His big thing was, like, just pushing the glove, the top glove. So, like, if somebody's getting ready to shoot anything, you push the top glove, you could hook the top glove. So you could either hook it back towards you or you could push it forward, but you kind of just waited until they had uh, a possession of the puck and you push it. Uh, on top of the breezers, over the top, back of the knee, uh, <laughs> knee under the knee. Um, but he, but the, what you realize is that there's certain people that were just like surgically so good with their sticks, like on a defensive level. And now it might be considered penalties, but back then it wasn't. Like it was things that like oh, you trust need, me, look you, at my nose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, maybe I should. Because and here's the thing, and you you should feel good about this, Dan Wildfong, because um, I have a lot of respect for Wes Mason. And Wes Mason, uh, if I haven't said it already. Uh, he's a huge part of why we met because I haven't met you before today. Um, but our mutual fr friend, uh, Wes Mason, kind of got us in contact. But he goes, if you want to talk old school hockey, he goes, Dan is the guy. And <laughs> I know Wes is an old school hockey player. You know yeah. what I mean? So it's one of those, if he says you're old school, it's like, yeah. Um, but how do you feel? And this will be the kind of the last question before you get in the shout out. How do you feel about the way that the game's changed? Because... I come across like some ex-pros that kind of say that, and I kind of understand this, but like the the current day pros wouldn't have survived back in the day of when you guys were playing. So like they wouldn't have been necessarily as valuable, but when the game changes and the rules change, value changes as far as what players might be valuable and which ones wouldn't be. I think the game has moved forward in a positive way of the clutching and grabbing and hooking yep. and holding so the game is sped like it's got really fast and yep. i love that as a fan and myself just watching a game is so so friggin' fast mm -hmm. i do think it's it's got a little bit softer it's not as uh, like hardcore where there's you know Yep. Al Secord and I went and watched the <laughs> USHL game. He he's goes, told, I gotta leave. He, he's told, no, he, he gets He goes, fired I gotta up. leave. I he gotta gets, leave. I was like, why? He goes, this is the softest hockey I've ever seen. Yep. And I'm like, it's just a different game nowadays. Yep. Like, you, you got, he actually, when I when we coached, you know, here as well, you gotta watch 
that you keep your speed and you don't hit and they don't get a be above you or behind you. Yep. It's just, it's a different kind of game where you used to have big D that were just slow and they would just box out and yeah. hit you and cross check and, yep. you know, they do everything in case. Like, I think it's now they, nowadays you want a D that can, you know, skate and break the puck yep. out and move it up and jump in the play. And, um, but if if you watch the teams that continue to keep winning, they have big D that can skate, yeah. you know, and they're still and they're still tough in front of the net. So they have a mixture of old school and new school, in my yep. opinion. And I think that's what wins nowadays is well, a mixture of both. And, and I, I don't think it'll, I don't I don't think it ever can. I don't think it can ever get to the point where you have offensive defensemen only. Like I don't really. Hundred percent. Part of me is part of me thought about. It, I'm like, no, you're always going to have. But the the new game is having. And I know this kind of sounds stupid. I call it like a hybrid defenseman. It's it's a defenseman that can skate past you because that that one defenseman can literally uh, exponentially increase the value of your forwards yeah. at any point. And you see it a lot more now than you did before. And uh, I don't want to see Carlson was the first one because he wasn't the first one. Uh, but it was kind of that thing where you know if. Because there's a lot of kids that like to play defense because of the quarterback position. And with that, it's like, oh, no, this is really cool. Like, it's really good that you're noticing that it is cool to play defense as a, as a quarterback, but you still have to be able to play uh, the physical nature of, uh, at the defensive end. So it's kind of like you need a player, but not, not every player can be that. That hybrid D almost has to be like a really – you have to have a mix of IQ, speed, pat. You have to have almost everything. Like – I almost think it's going to get to the point, and I think you're even seeing it with what some of these guys are making, but some of these defensemen are going to be probably one of the mo most valued people on that team. Yeah. You're going to have that McCarr or that Fox or that. You're going to have certain guys that are playing D, but they're not looked at as defensemen necessarily. We find that they're the guys that were old, like guys that just finished their checks and they're just – really hard to play against D-men. They're just not out there anymore. So yep. we actually draft them even higher because there's, there's just not, not yeah, as yeah. many out yep. there where you can find more guys that are just jumping the play and not great right. defensively. Yep. And so we'll draft a guy even higher than he actually should be drafted, yep. even though he's probably – you know, might be our sixth demon, might be our seventh right. demon, but he's so valuable to the team yep. because of what he brings to the table. He brings the toughness. He brings the team unity. He yeah, brings yeah. the physicality. And we we really value that here in Lone Star, and I think that's been part of our success. But I, I think you, you still need to have at least one of those people on every defensive line. Yeah. Like, or not necessarily, uh, you know, what I'm trying to say, but yeah, it, it's a situation where – it's kind of like uh, if everybody's betting on one thing and everybody's like, oh, we're, we're really putting into this and they're forgetting about, oh, well, what really does defense mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like setting front, because I don't necessarily want an offensive def defenseman uh, in front of the net or, you know, not saying I don't, I, I do want him in front of the net if that's his responsibility. But at the end of the day, um, you know, people just kind of need to learn their roles here. But uh, anyway, Dan, um, now we are close to time. So, I'm going to give you the rules, and this is the only time that this gets structured at all. Um, but I kind of wanted to give you the rules of the shout-out. Okay. So the shout-out, it can be uh, – you can shout-out your family. Uh, you can shout-out uh, uh, your team. You can shout-out uh, – it could be a coaching mantra. It could be an idea. Uh, it could be a sound. It could be literally anything audible. Um, 
that you can put out into the universe that people will uh, receive positively. Does that make sense? So it could be anything, really. As long yeah. as people leave it uh, feeling positive. Shout out. Okay. Um, you know, I always, growing up, I always wanted to be a positive influence on hockey. And my thing that I feel that we, and we talked about NITEX and what we do here, I think we do a great job of. So that's a shout out to kind of, is growing the game. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of um, camps that we have here uh, that kids have never skated a day in their life. And they get on the ice because that's one part of their thing is they get to try their skates on for the first time and they go out and skate. And then they go, man, we really like this. And now we want to play hockey. Yep. So my shout out positively is like a lot of the things that we do around here to try and grow the game uh, yep. grassroots. And I really, I take pride in like being a part of that here. And I really, I think it's a positive influence for, for hockey and the game. Yeah. around here as well. So. Well, hey, no, I think that's a that's a really good shout out. I think it's a that's a great shout out, and um, I'm gonna go ahead and give my shout out. Are you good with your shout out? I'm good. Okay. All right. So I'm gonna give my shout out. Uh, so my shout out is going to be for, and uh, I think everybody's gonna be surprised because I usually talk negatively on this, but my shout out is gonna be for uh, hockey parents. I know everybody's <laughs> so shocked. Everybody's like, "What? You always talk crap." Uh, but anyway, I'm gonna do my shout out for hockey parents. I did realize, not just recently, but I don't know, the past couple of weeks, you do need good hockey parents to help you do some things. And it doesn't make, like, you can't really have a good team without some good hockey parents every once in a while. And every time that they step up and do something or volunteer for something and they don't do it to be cool or they, don't, they only do it for the team, those are the best parents. Those are really, really good parents. We have a parent uh, for our high school team. I don't you have this, Dan. We have a parent that literally their whole job is to stand there by the locker room and collect the phones before they go in the locker room. <laughs> that sounds like a miserable job to me. I wouldn't want to do it. But we do have a, we have a couple moms that just sit there and do that. So um, I kind of wanted to uh, circle back, if you will, on uh, and this is a uh, this is a hockey parents uh, positive show. I don't want anybody to think that it's not. But every once in a while, I go in hard on the parents and. I just didn't want to do that for the shout-out. So for the <laughs> shout-out, I'm going to say thank you, parents. A lot of you guys are, are good. I feel like sometimes when we talk negatively, it's just a couple of you guys that are kind of being a pain in the butt. Uh, but anyway, you guys know who you are. Or maybe you don't. Who knows? Uh, but anyway. Uh, anyway, all right. Well, hey, uh, that's the end of the shout-out. Uh, Dan Wildfong, I appreciate you so much for coming on. I thank do have you. to say, oh, I do have to shout-out Wes Mason. Because yeah. he was the one that got you on here, got us in touch. Uh, I, I told Wes I owe him big time. I will figure out a way to make that work. Uh, but anyway, Dan, thank you so much for coming on. Thank and you. Uh, you good? You got anything else? No, I just, uh, Wes Mason should be retired right now. <laughs> I got to coach him. He should be in the NHL. Hey, Talk you... about one guy that should have made it is Wes Mason. He had all, he had the size. Yeah. He had the strength. He was IQ. He, IQ. He had everything. Yeah. But he was a little bit soft and lazy. Well, but let, not anymore. Hey, but hey, I'll I'll, I'll get on Wes about that. Get on him. I think we're on. The, I think we're on the same men's league team now. We'll try and figure yeah, it out. But uh, anyway, uh, Wes, we love you and uh, thank you very much. But uh, anyway, all right. Well, hey, I'm gonna go ahead and do the Matt Taylor list. Um, you can check us out on FaceOffSpotPodcast.com. Say that one more time. That's FaceOffSpotPodcast.com. Uh, you can also check us out on Facebook. You can check us out on iTunes, Spotify. Uh, check out Rube's Brews. Uh, they're on 
No, they're on, uh, sorry, Facebook and Instagram. And uh, also check out, uh, what's uh, Night Text? Uh, we got any schedules for Night Text? Or uh, how do they figure out when Brahmas are playing? The uh, They just go to uh, the Brahmas website or Night Text website, and they'll be able to okay, look, at, look at any of the... Just look at look, look at your interwebs, people. You guys know where to find them. But uh, anyway, just glad to uh, finally be here in Nitex. Uh, glad to uh, spread out the love, and I'm really glad I got to be here with uh, Dan Wildfong because so many people have told me that he needs to come on, and he's finally come on. I think it was a good episode. But uh, anyway, all right. Well, hey, uh, everybody, appreciate you guys for tuning in. We'll come out with episodes every Thursday. All right, appreciate you guys. See you next Thursday. Later.